everyone, it's Kelly here, and we have another round of real life stories of private practice building. And with me today is Namrita Rindani McMahill. Otherwise, I call her Nam because it's way easier. <laughs> Welcome, Nam. Thank you, Kelly. It's you and the rest of the world. So Nam is perfect. Awesome. Though you did a really good job with my full name. That was awesome. Thank you. The so, Indian in me thanks you. <laughs> I try. <laughs> so Nam is a marriage family therapist intern in mm -hmm. private practice in Southern California. And what some of you uh, may not know is that in California, as in uh, other states, it varies how um, interns can do private practice. And here, as an intern, you have to be an employee. Other states, you can own your own business, and then you contract out your supervision. So it varies from state to state. However, the reason I am so glad you're here, Nam, is because I think that, at least for me, and I want to hear about your experience, I was kind of taught, like, private practice is something for licensure. And mm -hmm. like even finding a um, private practice as an intern wasn't even on my radar or consideration. So tell me about why private practice for you um, mm -hmm. and where did this kind of birth out of for you? So you're absolutely right. Um, even when um, I was in graduate school, I always heard of private practice as this privilege for the licensed. It's what you do once you take the test and you're done with your hours. Because I would ask people what they want to do when they grow up as therapists and everyone would say private practice. And for a while, I actually thought that an intern cannot do private practice. Um, what started to kind of build up for me was recognizing that I tend to have a really out-of-the-box creative streak when I work with clients. And that was something that in agency jobs was, was encouraged. And I say that with quotes because that came with, well, yeah, you know, you can be narrative, but can you make it sound like CBT? Or sure, you can use art, but can you use a thought record instead? It was, you know, I, it was a little challenging. And what I started to realize is the biggest gift a therapist can bring to a therapy room is uniqueness. And it's creativity. It's it's designing therapy to meet the person who's sitting in front of you as opposed to what a book taught you. And um, I watched my supervisor um, at that time when I was doing practicum kind of, you know, enjoy this creativity in her private practice. And so she and I would have a lot of conversations around it. And even at that point, I wasn't really into doing private practice. It was way too scary. But something shifted for me once I was done with my practicum hours. And uh, my supervisor sensed that in me as well. And about a month after I finished practicum, there was this opening in her private practice. And I said yes. And in all honesty, I had no idea what I was saying yes to. All I knew was I felt a passion um, for that kind of work. And I strongly believed, and I believe in that to this day, that there are people in the community who want to be served in very unique ways and agency jobs just don't let you do that. And so for me, it's been about kind of closing the gap between what I'm, I have to do based on a book versus what a client really wants, which is conversation and creativity and private practice allows me to do that. So I dived right into it. And what did that look like in the first few months of diving right in? What did that all 
what was your process for starting? I it involved a lot of paper bags that I was breathing into because I said yes, <laughs> and then I went, oh wait, I have to figure out how to get clients through the door because till then I had the luxury of just kind of showing up, you know, to my training site, and I had a schedule that I had to follow. Mm-hmm. So the first few months were a very precious mix of complete exhilaration and paralyzing panic. Like I was, I was back and forth between those two because every time I would potentially have a client, it would kind of bring me back to why I was doing this. And then there would be a week where I would have no clients as you often do when you kind of start off. And I would have those very familiar voices of fear going, Oh no, maybe they're right. You can't do this as an intern. It's too hard. And I don't know how to market. I didn't learn it in grad school. And so it was a very interesting mix of both until a point where I realized that the panic part just kind of sucked. I was not having a good time breathing into paper bags. And so for me, the process shifted to how can I increase or kind of stay true to the exhilaration part of private practice Mm. and do away with the panic, which it involved making some shifts in the way I was thinking and in the way I was practicing and the way I was showing up. Can you talk about some of those shifts? Because I'm curious to hear what you did. Absolutely. I think um, private practice is, and I've recognized this over the years, is a very interesting way of, you know, showing you what your fears are and what your limiting beliefs tend to be. What are the stories you tell yourself? And back when I started, one of the stories I told myself was, it's recession. There aren't a lot of clients who can afford therapy. Um, I worked in a street that had nine other therapists on that street. So when I would, you know, punch in my name in psychology today, it wouldn't show up for years. Um, and it was it was stuff like that that was making me go, am I making a mistake here? Like, is this just not going to work? And every time I experienced some sort of a lull, it would, you know, kind of reinforce this this false belief that I had that I couldn't make it work. So one of the biggest shifts that um, I found myself making is working really hard to figure out where these clients are. How come everyone else is going through a recession just like I am? There are these other eight therapists on the same street, but they're doing okay. So there's something happening out there that I am not doing. And what that, the first step for me, what that involved was starting to ask a lot of questions. I, anyone and everyone who would show me some level of interest, I would ask questions too. How are you doing this? What is working for you? Can you show me? Can you share with me? It was a lot of questions that I started to ask. And then I started to realize that marketing is not this far off thing that you have to learn and do. It's basically being yourself and being willing to show up in the community and letting them see you. So in some ways, I was marketing every day, everywhere, because I was being myself every day, everywhere. And I started to get referrals from the most surprising people. People I had met once years ago started sending me clients. And the clients that I was seeing started to refer me to their coworkers and to other people. And it was all entirely based on me just being myself. So my biggest shift was... If something is lacking in your private practice, look at what you're doing and not doing and then figure out what you need to do and then do it. (laughs) 
I think, yeah, I think that um, what you said about um, that whole aspect of being yourself, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if it's school or internships or what, that there's this idea of the MFT, or the therapist, and then there's mm-hmm. this, but, you know, like, I, I want to be that same person mm-hmm. within the space of my work with my clients as I am yeah. in the real world. You know, of course, I'm not going to like jabber about myself in session, but my mm-hmm. personality, who I am, how I carry myself is congruent, you know, and I think absolutely you finding that space really, it is important. And out of that comes confidence, knowing yes. who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And being okay with that. It's, you're absolutely right. There are the, all these messages and social constructions where even this idea wearing a therapist hat or right. wearing a mom hat or why are you wearing hats? Right. As opposed to just allowing yourself to show up in different roles. And so the person I am when I speak to a client is exactly like this. This is how I speak to a client because we're all people and at the very core therapy is about conversation. Mm-hmm. What has been um, some of the, you said you had some surprising referrals. Can you tell me one of your most surprising like referral resource sources? <sighs> A hairdresser uh-huh. that I, I didn't even actually wind up going to. Uh, oh, you yeah. never even saw her. No, him. Yeah. Um, I didn't. Too pricey. I was an intern on a budget. Couldn't get my <laughs> hair colored the way I wanted to. It was way too expensive. But we had a really good email conversation. We didn't even speak on the phone. This was just back and forth emails. And I was I was being myself. I was being silly and goofy. <laughs> and he thought it was fun. Um And it was almost like a year down the line where I had a client show up from the same industry. And then that client wound up giving me a lot of different clients as well. Um, And the second surprising one, which was a big learning moment for me as an intern, was someone called me after checking my profile out on psychology today and uh, called me saying, I don't want private pay. I want to use my insurance. And as an intern, I can't do that. Um, and so I still kind of spoke to her. I offered her different options. Uh, we worked together in making sure she got the kind of referral she was looking for. She wound up sending me a couple and then that couple wound up sending me more couples. And so it was ironically people that I'd never even met that sent me referrals. And it's awesome. It's so much fun when that happens. Yes. I think relationships are key. And, um, like whenever I talk about social media and stuff like that, I'm like, it all leads to relationships. That's how you and I met was on your Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't meet face to face until this past weekend. So <laughs> I know. Right. But um, you being you means you stand out and you're memorable and just kind and compassionate. And it, and it comes through, you know, and, and talking to you. So that's lovely to find your voice is important. Yeah. Yes. It's so, so important. What kind And it's, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I was about to say, and, and that's something that if there was this one thing I could tell therapists who are starting out in private practice, interns or not, um, is to find that voice and not be kind of confined by this idea that nobody taught me how to do this. Almost all the skills I actually use in private practice to get clients, I learned in the sandbox. 
like their life skills. Um, if you have something awesome, you share it. Um, <laughs> if you want to build a relationship, you show interest in that person. If you if you want to continue and sustain a connection, then you engage that person. You ask questions. You allow them to see who you are. And all those things work in my private practice. And that's where I get clients from is finding different avenues to let people see who I am and how I could potentially support them. I love that. Play in the sandbox. And that's where you are. I love that. That's a great metaphor. Really beautiful. So as you're starting out, um, Mm -hmm. what kinds of marketing have you tried? And Mm -hmm. what did you love? And what did you not so much love? That is a really amusing question to me because believe it or not, this is, I've been in private practice as an intern for four years and it wasn't until three months ago that I got business cards printed and um, a website going. I hadn't done any of that, uh, but I've had clients. It's not that, you know, it, it didn't work. And so for me, what I've really enjoyed doing is Building relationships with people, I think that's something that I invest a lot of my time in. I invest a lot of my energy in. And then branching out by keeping that as my goal. I want to build relationships with people who will, A, know that I have some support I can offer the community. um, And B, will know who I am and possibly know other people who may need my services. And so for me, it's been staying true to building relationships, but then starting to find different avenues of doing that. In all authenticity, my strength has been and my most amount of fun has been in building relationships online. I am a social media person. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something about it I love. And then there's something about it that is entirely an introvert kind of protecting myself strategy. And so I've done that and enjoyed that a lot. I have now started to branch out into walking into businesses um, in the neighborhood that I am, which is a little more challenging, but it's also really fun. Um, And just kind of going to them and asking them what they do, showing interest in how they offer services and kind of building a relationship where, can you let me know how you serve the community? Because I may know someone that I can refer to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I will ask a lot of questions to them and it's really hard to meet someone who when you ask them about their work, they won't ask you about yours, which then becomes a very organic way of me sharing. Oh, this is what I do. And you know, you're a chiropractor. I would love to send my clients to you because I can see how it will help Mm -hmm. and boom relationship build. And then you keep kind of sustaining it. This, This part of marketing is a little bit harder for me than the first because it's out of my comfort zone, but that's also where all of the magic happens. So Mm-hmm. I like it. I think one of the keys of what you were saying there is about the sustaining the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where some people struggle because yes. you you might send out calls or emails and then you might have a little of exchange. But how do you keep nurturing that relationship? How have you done that with some of the relationships that you've built? How does that kind of – do you organize it in a way? Do you have – I don't know. Are there any tools you use to remind yourself like, oh, I should follow up with this person or that sort of thing? Yes, um, I am. I use reminders on my phone, on Google Calendar. Um, But here's the thing, Kelly. 
if I am not remembering to connect with someone that I made a connection with, I've probably not made a really good connection. Hmm. So as much as I do organize and I make sure I'm sending emails out and I'm doing all of that stuff, um, most of it is really natural to me because my why is very, very strong. It's my why of building a relationship is what fuels everything I do. And interestingly, my why is not I'm going to get referrals from this person. My why is I want to connect with this person and see how this person and I can serve the community. It all goes back to service and support um, for the community. And so building and sustaining relationships for me often looks like, you know, having a conversation that's business related, but then also having conversations about the weather or having conversations about were you at the Mardi Gras at Hillcrest? Because it's a neighboring uh, community that we work in. It's Again, it goes back to the sandbox. It's sitting on a swing set, sharing your PB&J and talking about your favorite comic books or whatever it is you're into. Mm-hmm. And that's what becomes very natural after a certain point. So for me, it is organizing, um, sending out emails and stuff like that. But what been- works the most for me is again, just keeping the relationship in mind, making that a priority. Yeah. I think the organizing comes in handy when you're first starting. Yeah. Because I find like when you're first starting, I don't know if this is your experience, but you do Mm -hmm. a lot more like initiating. And then like you're saying, as you build the relationship, things come organically. And when you're initiating, it's like you're just sending out to as many people and reaching out wherever you can um, to serve. So I like that idea of using the Google Calendar. And I also like yeah. the idea of paying attention to who you remember and who you want to mm-hmm. follow up with. And yeah. um, who do you just find yourself wondering, I wonder how they're doing, you know? Yes. And two, like, I want to know something about them from a personal level. You know, mm-hmm. do they have kids? And all that stuff you're saying, like, did they go exactly. to Mardi Gras? <laughs> Yeah, what did you do on Saturday? <laughs> it's it's yeah. as simple as that. And I noticed I've been on the receiving end of people wanting to build relationships with me as well. And I honestly learned this from that, where I get random texts from people I haven't seen in months going, oh, so I noticed that you're starting X and Y. I'm wondering if you need a guest speaker. And I'm like, what? Really? Like, No. No, how about we chat first? <laughs> you show that this is, you know, just fake it if you have to, but build the relationship, care about the relationship, and then the referrals will come organically. Uh, don't keep, I need clients as the focus. So I don't have business cards, but I do mm-hmm. have a website. I don't yeah. market my practice anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but why did you decide to get business cards on a website? It was the natural next step for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll emphasize more on the website than the business cards. It's been more, uh, it's been more valuable. The reason why I didn't have a website was I was procrastinating. It it felt too big. It felt too Mm -hmm. scary. Mm -hmm. Um, It was one of my personal challenges that I wanted to avoid until again, I made a, made a shift. Um, in how I was thinking about a website. And that shift was, well, my goal is to connect with community. Why in the world would I want to hold back on one more way of connecting with people who may need help? Mm, and so beautiful. that was that was my push um, on creating a website. The business cards part kind of, I started to notice I was, again, 
again hairdressers i was getting a haircut from a new um, salon in the in the neighborhood that i work in and we were chatting away and she was asking me what i do and she went oh i actually have a lot of friends who could use your help and then she asked me the question that i absolutely hated which was do you have any business cards <laughs> no yes <laughs> and i went no and she said oh do you have a website and i went no <laughs> Uh-huh. And it was a huge learning moment because I could feel myself kind of going, oh, dear, like, how are these people going to know who I am yeah. just based on this one haircut? That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. And that's what happened. I didn't wind up getting referrals because I had nothing to kind of make myself memorable by other than our connection. And she wanted something tangible to give to another human being. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it was it was that. It was that day, it was that haircut that made me go, okay then. And I started that week. I had my business card sent in for order that awesome. week and I started my website that week. And how has been the process of building your website? Much like starting my private practice. Breathing into paper bags and sheer exhilaration. Because mm-hmm. um, And here's the thing, uh, being an intern and... This, I think a lot of interns in private practice can relate to, you don't have a lot of disposable income. Uh, The way, at least in California, it works is when you're an intern, a percentage of whatever you bring in is given to your supervisor. That's just kind of how it goes. So by the time you get your paycheck, you have some limitations on what you can spend it on. And so I started off with a really basic website that I don't think anyone would ever find. And I didn't even enjoy, but it was the practice of starting to work on putting myself out there. Yeah. Um, so I started with that and I'm, I'm still, you know, it's evolving. I'm still working on it. And I think I'll be working on it for life because I'm actually starting to really enjoy it. And I'm starting to find creative ways of, you know, Good. connecting with community through my website. So it's a learning process. It's, it parallels everything else in our work. It parallels what happens when we see our first client, what happens when you have a really challenging couple on the couch, when you experience a lull in private practice, you go through fears and then you then you go through all the good stuff. And building a website has not been an exception. Yeah. And I think it's that taking action. Yeah. And Definitely. Mm-hmm. Very, very important. And I think what has helped me the most, which is, Uh, which started when I first started my private practice and is really important to me even right now is asking for help, um, looking for resources that can support you. It's how I kind of found you and Miranda and Zinni Me because even when you're on a budget, there is so much free stuff that so many generous people offer. My gosh, learn from it. If you're going to stay in this idea of, I don't have the money, I'm just an intern, I can't make it, then you won't make it. Um, And so I spend a lot of time. I have a schedule. I have a research and training schedule in my business plan um, where I watch webinars. I read things. I I read books. I ask questions. I talk to people in the community just to learn. Is there a book you've read recently that you'd love to recommend? Yes. Um, This may show up in another podcast as well, but I cannot recommend it enough. It's actually a children's book. It has nothing to do with business. It has nothing to do with private practice. It's called The True Story of the Three Little Pigs. It's a fractured fairy tale where the entire story of the little three little pigs 
is written from the perspective of the wolf. Mm. So the story is rewritten from the perspective of the wolf. Mm -hmm. The reason why I recommend it when I talk about private practice is because that book truly shows you how no matter what you think the story of your private practice is, there is another way of looking at it. Um, if you know, you, you're in this place where you're just not getting clients, shift positions, try seeing it from a different angle, see what is there and what is not there, what you can and cannot do. When you have a challenging client in private practice, think about it from the big bad wolf's perspective. And so this book um, teaches me to think outside of the box. It teaches me to look at all the different perspectives instead of just sticking to my own. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually helped me in a number of ways. Outside of that, uh, a business private practice book that I have really enjoyed is Be a Wealthy Therapist uh, by Casey Truffaut. It's mm -hmm. especially if you're starting out, it's a great book because she has, you know, at the end of every chapter, there are coaching questions that mm -hmm. she kind of walks you through. Yes. So those two books are my favorite go-tos. What kinds of trainings have helped you in building your practice? I mean, name whatever. I'm, I want people to get tons of resources. Wow. I don't even know where to start because I am a training junkie. Well, let's do the um, top three. Top three. Do you want <laughs> websites or do you want actual trainings? Whatever you I, think is most helpful for people. I really do this a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, I have two that really, really spoke to me. One was, they both happened to be from your website, which oh. I'm a huge fan of because it, it truly, truly helped me bring everything together. Great. Um, one was your training on fee setting. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> oh my one. goodness. The number of things that came up for me when I, when I was in that webinar was tremendous. It was honestly like a therapy session because mm -hmm. I unpacked a lot of these ideas of um, setting my fee and asking for my fee that um, they were scary to kind of confront. But then I also set up some goals and I want to meet my goals. So I'm going to get there. So that was one training. The other one was on your niche slash niche building, <laughs> depending on whether you speak to Kelly or Miranda, um, which was that kind of lit me up like a Christmas tree. I love that training because, again, it challenged a lot of the fears I had um, that a lot of therapists have is I don't want to limit myself. Right. I don't want to just say that I see only these clients. And so that training is something that I, I highly recommend to as many therapists as possible um, because you want to you want to specialize. You don't want to serve everyone. You don't serve everyone. You can't. Even if you have, it's not possible. <laughs> and so I, when I see profiles of therapists on psychology today and I see that they serve everyone, I kind of go, well, I don't know if I want to refer to you because I don't know what you do and yeah. how you do it. And so those two trainings. And then the third training is it's a four-part series by Casey Truffaut. It's mm -hmm. a free webinar. She talks about every possible thing under the sun from launching your practice to your website. It's all covered um, and it's free. It's on her web. It's on her website. It's on YouTube. Perfect. And it kind of walks you through it all. Awesome. Okay. So what do you think is different or do you think there is a difference in starting private practice as an intern than mm -hmm. as someone who is licensed? Hmm. 
in terms of the challenges of startup? I know for us in California, I think one of the mm-hmm. challenges is the fee issue of mm-hmm. being split, of you yes. not owning your full fee, like mm-hmm. a, a person that's an intern in like um, Texas, for, for example. Yes. So beyond the fee, mm-hmm. do, you, do you think there's anything else that's unique for an intern? Yes, um, there actually really, really is. And I don't think it gets spoken about a lot, but a lot of interns struggle with it. You don't own your practice. You want to be able to say you do. You want to say it's my own business, but it isn't. It still is your supervisor slash employer's business, which um, comes with its expected challenges. You, You don't get to kind of actualize your dreams and your visions exactly the way you want to Mm -hmm. unless you find a supervisor who is in alignment with what you want in your private practice and so that is definitely a challenge that um, I've experienced witnessed and noticed um, in my journey as a private practitioner is ah when I own my own business I think I'm going to do it like this yeah which it's a humbling reminder that you are still in the process of learning. You're still a student, you're still a fledgling and you have a mentor. Um, So while it's frustrating that you can't do everything you want to do, you have this amazing gift of being able to have access to someone who's licensed, who's supervising you and can show you the way when you get lost. Yeah. I think it's important too to highlight that you've been on other podcasts. The Mm -hmm. one that I heard most recently is, um, Joe Sanic's Practice of the Practice. And yes. that's where he shares more about your background and story. So I really, I'm going to put the link in there so people can hear sure. that podcast because yeah. it was really mm-hmm. awesome. And um, So in this journey, where do you see yourself this year? Where do you see it going? Oh my goodness. Where do I not see it growing? Um, I have, I don't want to say I have goals. I'm trying to find a different word for goals that doesn't have intentions. Um, yeah, I have intentions, I have visions, um, I have a certain number of clientele that I want to hit. I want to expand the way I'm marketing. I want to be able to go out and speak to the community that I want to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's public speaking for, I think, a lot of us is kind of scary, but it's something I absolutely want to do. In addition to that, um, I have a couple of projects that I'm working on that involve serving the community, but not necessarily only in private practice. I'm launching on March 23rd, I'm launching um, something called the Empowered Intern, Mm -hmm. which actually touches on a lot of questions you asked me. It's a resource that I'm I'm designing for the pre-licensed therapist to kind of get past all those ideas that I can't and I have to wait and all of that stuff. And Launch yourself, be yourself, empower yourself to do whatever you want to do, even as a pre-licensed therapist. And in addition to that, we have some really fun, um, exciting ideas for our online community, Therapists in Private Practice, which um, I think you want to you wanna watch out for. It's, it's going to grow, it's going to be fun, and it's going to be even a bigger resource Ooh. for the private practice community than it already is. That's exciting. Yeah. I it mean, is. that's how you and I first met was uh, in the therapist in private practice group that you started. Yes. And I just want to touch back to what you're saying about the empowered intern stuff, because mm-hmm. if you can learn to be you now, it will only benefit you moving forward, right? Because Absolutely. honestly, that mindset stuff, 
if you don't deal with it, it comes up when you're licensed. When you're licensed, it doesn't go away. It's not mm-hmm. some magic wand. Mm-hmm. When you have been licensed for two years, five years, ten years, there's always something that you could do more or learn more. And the fact is, is that you're always growing, but where you're at is good too. Yes. You know, so embracing that now is important. And if you can start to learn that pre-licensed or wherever you're at in the journey, you're not Mm going to have to keep doing that down the road. Cause I get, I talk to people that have been in practice for a long time that still Mm -hmm. are like, well, I'm thinking about getting this certificate because not so much because I'm passionate about it and I really need the skill set, but I'm thinking mm-hmm. it'll help me um, yes. give me credibility. So it's I love what you just shared because that's something that I think of. Um, in this year, I am going to get licensed. Um, it's part of my plan for the year. And I have this vision that I have no doubt will be true, which is the day I get licensed, A, I have a job I love. Uh I don't have to start looking for a job now that I'm licensed. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a caseload Mm -hmm. that I'm working with. I have a fee and I have figured out how to kind of conquer the the limitations of fee setting Mm -hmm. because I would, you know, raise my fee as a licensed therapist. Um, I have that figured out. I have figured out who it is that I love working with, how to connect with them. There's very little that will really shift for me as a licensed professional, I will get to keep the money that I make, um, <laughs> which would which will be great. But by the time I get to that place, a lot of the messy work has either been taken care of or I know what it is. Right. It's kind of, you know, going back to the child metaphor. Can you imagine if, you know, the developmental stage where we learn to crawl and then walk happened after we got a job? Like it's Some things have to happen early on yes um, and it's very similar um, in terms of being in being an intern moving into being a licensed uh, private practitioner you want to get you know your foundation going when you're an intern it's the best time to do it you know overheads you have mentorship um, you can make mistakes and it's okay you learn from them and then you get licensed and you're good to go beautiful so if there was um a tool that you recommend to pre-license in private practice, something that has helped you. I don't care any kind of tool, whether it's a marketing tool or a business tool or a health and wellness tool. What has, what's one tool that you, that's helped you? My goodness. Just one? Just one. Do your own work. That's not a tool, but that is a tool. (laughs) Find a therapist. Um, make better friends, (laughs) do whatever you need to listen to webinars and podcasts and read books that will help you figure yourself out. Because if you don't do that, no matter what business tools you learn, no matter what trainings you go for and how you set your fees and how you choose to specialize, your stuff will show up. Oh, it will. Oh, I think there was something you said earlier about how, you know, your business can bring up stuff. And Mm -hmm. I always say your business is a mirror, just like any other relationship. And Uh it's just going to reflect back what has always been there. So, yes, doing your own work. Oh, my gosh. So helpful. I've been doing mine off and on for like 10 years, and I'm never going to be done, (laughs) you know? Exactly. Yeah, it's a constant growth. And actually, I love the work of it. And I am a different business owner because of it. Definitely. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. I, I can completely see that. It's doing your own work. And then from the business side uh, of things, recognize that you're starting out, which means you want to figure out how to do things and you don't want to do it alone. There are people who have already walked the path that you're starting on. Ask them to help you. Ask them questions. Ask them how you did it. It's it's the number one thing I would say to any intern is if you know someone who you admire, are inspired by, who has done what you want to do, connect with them. Be a student and connect with them. So what are the best ways people can reach you? The best ways people can reach me, um, my website, which I now have, along with my business card, um, is www.soulnarratives.com. It has all my contact information in there. You can also email me at nam at narrativetherapysd.com. Okay. And I'll also put the link uh, to the Therapist and Private Practice Group. And do do you have a link yet for the Empowered Intern? Um, not as yet. I okay. have one, but it's going to change. Uh, okay. But that information is going to be on my Soul Narratives website. Awesome. And it's Perfect. also going to be in Therapists and Private Practice, which is the group that my husband and I created for the community. Awesome. So you will see that everywhere um, once it's ready. I want to just thank you for doing this with me. And honestly, thank you for what you do for our community. Like, I appreciate it. And I know that that comes out of a place of your heart. And it really does show. Um, It's a group I enjoy participating with. And um, I love how you and your husband manage that group. And just really your heart for the field. I I think it's contagious, Nam. So if anyone hears your story and is inspired, they really need to connect with you. You're an amazing person to know. And I'm, I'm grateful to know you. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Kelly. You have been such an asset, um, along with Miranda, to have in the community. And now I can say even in my life, mm-hmm. there's so much I learned from you, which is why there are people who ask me if you guys pay me um, <laughs> to share Zinimi stuff. And over and over I go, no, it's that PB&J. It's so delicious that I have to share it with you. But maybe um, we should go out for PB&J sometime. Yum. It's my favorite <laughs> food, so... It's a deal. All right. Sounds that good. That is therapy right there. <laughs> B&J sandwiches. Sounds so, good. <laughs> thank you for having me and thank you for being you. Thank you.